Hey, welcome to Texas State Choirs today. We are at TMEA. This is part of our special TMEA series, and I am sitting here with Dr. Deb Confredo. She's a professor of music ed at Temple University. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your career and your your life at Temple University so it's not like Texas there. No, I bet it's a little colder. It than is. It, it is a little colder, actually, yeah. Um, life is good there. Temple is a great place to be. In fact, um, I used to teach at the University of Illinois for quite some time. And when I went to Temple, I actually went back home. That's where I'm from. I'm from just oh, outside of the yeah, it's just outside of Philly area, and my whole family's there. I've uh, been there for 18 years, and um, it's it's a great school. It's in the it's in the heart of Philadelphia, so. Mm-hmm. Um, we have that urban appeal to it, and uh, one of the nice things for the music majors there is that um, the music opportunities are not limited to the university, but there are tons of opportunities outside the university in the in the city proper and also outside the city. There's so yeah, to get there's gigs t- and tons work. of places to sing and to play, and uh, you know, classical music, jazz. I mean, you name it. It, it goes on in, in Philadelphia. So yeah. Um, like I said, I was in Illinois for quite a while. I did my my uh, doctorate at Florida State, and that mm-hmm. took me to Illinois, which which is where I was for 11 years. And um, family took me home, which was great. Um, at Temple, I started out teaching mostly instrumental focus and in undergraduate plus some graduate work. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I moved into the chairperson's position, um, so I had to take a few things off my plate. So we hired a new person to do some of the instrumental work after some time doing the chairs pers- chairperson's job i went back to doing it mostly teaching yeah and well and he was uh, we hired nate bonvery he's a great guy he's a good colleague good friend of mine and he's wonderful at doing those things so i decided to do some other things so i expanded my reach you know did some work with the uh, freshmen in our intro class and did uh, work with the seniors in you call it an outro class it's the it's the culminating class of their senior year before they go out to student teach and course is called collaboration creativity so it was sort of you know all the things that maybe we hadn't touched on yet that we brought into that final class and then graduate work um and then uh uh moving you know fast forward and uh, was the the director for graduate studies and now i'm focusing on the online work which is uh you know, so it seems like every time I'm turning around, you're reinventing myself, which is good because it keeps me young and, and on top uh, uh, of things. My, my, one of my colleagues, Dr. Joey Martin, says that all the time, mm-hmm. that just about every 10 years, he just needs right. something new to move on. I, I noticed yeah. that in myself as well. You just need a new chapter. Right. You can't give when you're tired of the same old thing. Right. And, and you know, those things are very exciting. And the, I think what it does is it, it helps me to, to continue to keep my shoes in those students shoes you know they're just learning to become uh, music teachers and if I have new things on my plate I share in some of their challenges you know which I which I think I'm hoping it translates into me being a better teacher for them and I I kind of like to think that that's what academia Mm -hmm. is we we teach them they teach us particularly at the graduate level it's a whole center of learning it's not just about us telling them you know I, I I think you're right and and um I think it has to be that way. If, we, if, if, if music teacher educators are not open to learning from their students, then there's a little myopia going on, you know, and they have a lot to teach us, particularly as, and I, I tell this story all the time, you know, when, I'm, when I first started teaching university, I was my early 30s, and my, my freshmen coming in were 18 or 19, and now 
I'm 61, and they're still 18 and 19. So this, so, 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 so there's this gap, and if you if we don't stay fresh, and 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 current, then we lose relevancy. And I think that's a really uh, important thing that we have to c carry with us as we grow older in our profession. Absolutely, I yeah. think that's good advice for all of us, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Tell us more about the online graduate yeah. program because that's that's not particular to music. We, we usually right. think, or especially those of us who are traditionalists, right. it's impossible right. to, to do well, online. And, and there are some things that are very difficult to do mm -hmm. online that I wouldn't even try. But, but so uh, uh, probably about 10 years ago, I, I think it was about 10 years ago, I started, I taught my first online course with Temple and it was in order to reach people that we hadn't reached before. Now, we don't have a program. We, it was just an individual course, and that's, we just mm. set, set it up so that people could do it online. A few years went by, and it was successful, and so then we started talking about it in the department about whether or not this is something we should pursue. So I got together with one of my colleagues who was not in music education, but he was, he was sort of middle management. He was an associate dean, and um, the two of us uh, connected with, believe it or not, the, the, the business school at Temple. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. The Fox School of Business is, is, a, is a great branch of Temple University and they've got one of the best uh, MBAs, online MBAs, in the world. So what better folks to tap into than the, the Fox folks? They're already doing Right. So what we did was we brought them the, the question, what, should we do this? And they put a, uh, a focus group together for us from within the school. Uh, they had graduate students who were on it. I think there were four graduate students and a couple faculty members. And they actually did a feasibility study for us. Took a, took a semester. And they worked very closely with us. We prepared them by giving them lots of information about other online programs in music that we admired. Mm -hmm. And a lot of information about us and what we wanted to do, our, our course objectives, our program objectives. And they took all that information and went out and got tons of information that they then came back to us with. Um, and gave us an idea about what we could expect if we were to kick this program off. And then we continued to work with Fox. We went back to them um, in order to develop our, our video vault. We've got literally hundreds of videos of our faculty teaching. And so the online courses have a combination, and we were very adamant about this as a faculty, that we weren't going to do just um, uh, courses that were completely asynchronous. We were going to have a synchronous component to all of our online courses. So it's a combination of media, right? So us teaching via these videos, in addition to meeting once a week with folks from all over the country who take these courses, they see each other, they talk to each other, they work together in groups. So it's, you know, it's everything about teaching except for actually being able to touch somebody. You know, it, so the face-to-face the -face happens, it's just through a screen, mm -hmm. you know. Um, one of the things that, I mean, talking about what the pros and cons of a, a program like this are, some of the pros have to do with the people that we, we bring into the program are practicing teachers. And I see. They, uh, th this has a convenience aspect to it, which is what the Fox folks really focused on for us, that people are hungry for this because, you know, well, you look around, we're at TMEA. These are hardworking people, mm -hmm. you know? You're a choir guy? 
yes. right? So there's not just teaching, right? It's concerts and it's getting kids to where they need to be and it's conferences and, you know, uh, meetings with parents and all those things, right? right? So it's not just an eight to three job. Uh, one of the things that, that I do as a, a graduate music educator, a teacher of graduate students, is I'm very adamant about continued professional growth and, and professional development. Mm -hmm. And so we would need to look at any number of ways where we can reach people. And the online thing seems to be, uh, seems to speak to a lot, of, a lot of folks. The other thing that I think that, uh, the, aside from the convenience aspect, is that we're you know, drawing in younger people who are very techno savvy. Yeah. And they like being able to do video. They like being able, to, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the video thing is one thing. If, there, if, if there's an assignment that's due, I have the option as their teacher of giving them feedback in three different ways. I can write to them. I can do what we're doing, do an audio recording and just mm. talk to them. I can do a video recording. And it's like, they're, it's like we're, we're sitting in a room together, right? They can archive those things. They can go back to it over and over and over again, right? So it's not just me saying something in a class. It's they, they have these, um, these, these media markers that help them throughout. The fact that they're able to go back to that lecture, yeah. I mean, just getting ready for the final or even, I mean, right. I can think there's some teachers way back when, I'd love to hear that lecture again. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, who else, Jonathan, who, who else that, that practice helps are, the, are, are international students for whom English is a second language. They right? can practice. They can. You, you mentioned, you know, it, it, it must be difficult, you know, to do music via the online uh, delivery system. And, and there are aspects to, to that that are very difficult. For example, I think it would be very, and I haven't done it yet, but I think it would be very difficult to, to uh, teach, uh, say, say, for example, a, a vocal lesson, right? There are lots of things that are compromised, right? Audio is compromised unless you've got a really great audio system. Audio is right. compromised. Um, some things don't happen exactly in time, right? Sometimes there's a delay. Um, so there's all those those pieces too, you know. So those things are not as uh, as user friendly as they may be in the future. I think we're going to get there. Sure. But um, so right now we we rely a lot on on video. For example, I, I teach a course in the summer. This summer I'm teaching it. Advanced Instrumental Methods, where I'm asking people to, to submit video and of their teaching. And I'll do you know, some feedback on what I hear in a rehearsal, uh, from what I see in the rehearsal. And, and, but again, it's, it's not, that's not in real time. The things that happen in real time are the conversations that we have as a class together. Mm -hmm. so, but it's, I, I love it. It's, um, and you, know, you and I talked a, a moment ago about um, continued professional development. For me, it was like learning to teach all over again. In terms of assessment, yeah. being in the room, being able to look over, I think that yes. would be the thing that I would miss. That, right, and you're, you're spot on because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the things that we, we uh, respond to in our teaching comes from what we get, the feedback that we're getting from our students. And it doesn't have to be verbal feedback. It could be, you know, if somebody, well, I'll give you an example. So today I had two... I did two sessions today, and one of them, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll grant them this. It was after lunch, had eyes closed, and, and, and I, just, I just walked sort of towards the back of the room, and eyes popped open, and she was back, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, and so those, Old those right, right, right. <laughs> so those techniques that we use in a face-to-face -face situation, we can't necessarily use 
online. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, I see everybody. I see every face, right? So I know if they're connecting with whoever's speaking, whether it's me or whether it's one of their their colleagues. You know. Or if they're off on their phone. If they're on their it. phone. Um, sometimes it's, and it's actually interesting because some, sometimes, you know, people are in their homes and sometimes the cat will walk by, you know, and it, and it is very sweet. It, yeah. it, it really is. You, you have a little glimpse into their lives that you may not otherwise have if you're in a classroom, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's at a more vulnerable place. It, it, exactly. Exactly. So, so I think there's a lot of, there are many, many benefits to it. And there are some drawbacks to it, uh, and I, I feel, I feel really um, almost blessed in a way that I've had the opportunity to learn to teach in that that venue. You know, if I if I hadn't reached out to to, to you know it's build this program, the future. I mean, that's I not think so. going away. Yeah, it's not going right. away. We're right. we're going to be asked to find more right. ways. Right to do that so that, right. that someone like you is sorting it out for us all right. to follow. Right. It, you, you mentioned your sessions today and uh, the one that drew me to you was uh, your session on the future of music education. I don't right. know, what was the exact name? Spurring, spurring Progress. So in the beginning of the session, I had people uh, brainstorm on what they feel are the, the challenges that we face today mm. in music education. And I asked them to think about it from their own personal perspective. Like, what do I face every day in the classroom or the rehearsal hall? In addition to more global aspects of that question, right? What do you think the, the profession, what the challenges of the profession are to the profession? So we started there, and, and then, we've, then we moved into... Um, the conference that was held back in the late 90s in Tallahassee, which was the impetus for Vision 2020, which is which is the, the document that came out, right? I, yeah, so, you're taking me back to grad school. I right. know what you're talking about. So was, <laughs> good, good. I'm glad you know, because not a lot of people, well, younger people don't know about this. Mm. So um, so the, it was a house rights symposium, and I had the, the great good fortune of being able to, to be a part an invited participant in, at that. The nice thing was we were invited to not only listen to the main speakers, but then we would break out into these these different areas where they were talking about different topics, and we were allowed to be part of that conversation, which was just fascinating to me. And then after all that was done, my mentor, Cliff Madsen, took all of those discussions and all of the, 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 the uh, spoken papers, and he worked to distill it into what we now know as a house right declaration. And I say distill, I, you know, that, that, that is, I don't mean to demean the work he's, he did or diminish it, I, I guess I should say. It, it's sort of like the Schenkerian analysis of, <laughs> of the entire conference, which, as you know, is quite hard to do. Yeah. He said it was one of the hardest things he's ever done in his life was to, to boil it down to these tenets. So anyway, going back to how I first started to answer your question, we were talking about the technology piece, right? Mm. Well. One of the things that the House Right Declaration did was it, it focused on the main topics of those conversations. And it didn't project it, uh, into a crystal ball as far as what was going to happen in 20 years. But what it did was it sort of laid down our responsibilities for what we need to do to bring us into those next 20 years. And part of that was technology. And I was saying it in the session the, the issues of technology that, the, that, that we talked about in the House Rights Symposium had to do with technology 
moving ahead. They had they they could not have predicted where we are today. No. They could not have predicted it. But they knew that it was coming and they knew it was going to be a tool that we had to learn and had to know and had to use. The other way I, I describe it, and this is a little odd, but stay with me on this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a it's not very healthy, but it's almost like a cigarette. I don't smoke, but you know, a cigarette is a is packaging, right? Sure. And and, yeah. and what's in inside is what people really want. It's 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 the right. stuffing, right? It's the same thing with technology. Technology is the packaging. Technology is, is sort of the conduit. It's the facilitator for, for the content, and the content is the music, right? And yeah. so, and so as music educators, we need, to, we need to stay on top of those things because it's, it's, it's just as, you know, are you, you're a choir guy, no, right? No, so choir you conduct, director. right? Yes. So, we are, so as a conductor, we are the conduit. We are the conduit to the content, and the yeah. content might be a wonderful John Rutter piece. Sure. You know, the content for band might be a wonderful, uh, uh, because he's here this weekend, Frank the Kelly piece, okay? Mm-hmm. We, are the, the, we are the delivery system. And the same thing is true for technology. If we look at technology for its own sake, then it's empty. But if we use it to deliver good music, then it, it has all kinds of possibilities. And that's just one very, very slim slice of what we How talk about. How do we about. deal with the learning curve, though? I mean, we've, we've already yeah. got the doctorate in right. music, but now we have this whole other thing to learn. I, I was just giving a session last week in Utah, and it's a brilliant session, but to get the PowerPoint to actually <laughs> work, I mean, you've been there. Yes. <laughs> I love technology, but I hate technology. <laughs> right, right. And, and there is quite a steep learning curve, especially when the technology changes so fast. Right, right. There, there is. And I don't know that there's any easy answer other than yeah. to jump in Just with both feet. It, I, I'm working right now. I'm doing um, a collaborative project with my colleague, Ruth Britton, who's at the University of Pacific. And, she, and we're bringing in at least 12, if not more, um, public school teachers in on this project with us. We've got about six or seven from the West Coast and six or seven from the East Coast, all middle and high school band directors. And mm-hmm. it's a chamber music project. And so we're asking them to have their chamber mu- cha- chamber groups perform music and then rehearse with each other without any teacher intervention. We're having to do this twice, separated by a week. And we're recording everything. We're video and audio recording all of the processes, right? So the so the uh, performance, both performance, right, mm. and uh, and their rehearsal processes without teacher intervention. And what we want to see is, you know, what kind of leadership leadership skills do do they have? Uh, what kind of things are they looking at? In what order and why? And how how long do they stick with that? And there's a frustration and all those things, right? Mm. So. What, so we're, there's already people off and running. So we have at least three band directors right now who are already recording. And I had one gal, good, good friend of mine, contact me twice in the past couple of days saying, uh, how do I get this, get the files to you, right? And so we're using, we're using Google Drive, mm-hmm. okay? So I set up a folder, and she wrote to me. She says, it didn't work. I said, well, what do you mean it didn't work? She said, well, I, I can't get in it. One of my kids... Her middle school kids, like one of her seventh graders said, oh, you know, well, I, th- I think you need permissions. You got to get Dr. Confredo to give you permission. So, okay, fine. So I changed permissions, right? And she writes back to me again. She says, still didn't work. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, my kids said you have to change it from view only to, <laughs> yeah. to edit. So, and, you know, this goes back to what we just talked about. 
that child is right. This is a 12-year-old teaching, teaching his 61-year-old Dr. Confredo, he, you got to do this, kid. You know? right. And, and, now, and you know. now I know. So anyway, we, we talked, talked a lot about the technology piece, but we also talked about things that were as important, if maybe not more important, for, for example, uh, access to music, right? So access has everything to do with equity. Mm -hmm. And they, 20 years ago, were predicting that this would only get worse unless we, what I, what I mean by that, that, that access would get worse, that mm -hmm. we would, you know, that the, the, the things that divide us would continue to divide us unless we were diligent to it. And so, you know, where are we today? I think we're a little bit better than we were 20 years ago, but still, mm -hmm. still haven't reached a place where we could all feel comfortable. You know, we're, we're still working out diversity issues and, and financial issues and being able to bring music to, to kids of all mm. shapes, sizes, kinds, all over the country or the world, you know. So we, we, we talked about the barriers that get in the way of those things um, and where we might be in 20 years from now. You know, what, if we had our own crystal ball, what would we see and how would we get there? What were so, some of the answers to that? What, what were people saying 20 years from now? What should we have? Well, the first thing was they, were, they, they looked down. You know, you ask a question like that and all yep. of a sudden everybody gets real busy. You know, they start writing notes, right. real, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, the overall feel was, was very positive, which I thought was good. The, the, the takeaway that I grabbed from the session was that the people at this session weren't there to complain. They were there to share their feeling that we're, in, we're, we're not perfect, but we're in a good trajectory. We're mm -hmm. in a positive trajectory. And I think part of that has to do with, um, and I'll go back to technology again, part of that has to do with, I think, has to do with, um, you, you mentioned information, information through social media, right? So, so whereas 20 years ago, if, 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 for example, someone was having an issue with how to include, I'll, I'll, I'll use a physical disability. So, so perhaps there's, there is a student who's blind who wants to be in the marching band. Well, how do we navigate that? Mm -hmm. How do we provide the best possible experience for that child so that that child gets everything out of that experience that every other child gets, right? And so 20 years ago, that, that teacher who was trying to find out those answers, trying to help themselves, may have been limited to resources that were only available right there at, you know, at that person's school or no in a nearby, loading. right, exactly. And now, <clears throat> the, the ability to resource is, is so much better than it was that many years ago. You know, we can, con and this, this is where the um, social media comes into play, right? So. If somebody reaches out, for example, on Facebook, and there's a ton, you probably know this, there's a ton of Facebook groups, right, that, sure. that cater to, there's a band director's group, there's a women's band director's group, there's a choir group, there's a, there's a Kodai group, you just go on and on, yeah. right? And people share their, they share lots of things, but they, but they also share, you know, other than what, you know, what are you wearing for the concert tonight? They also share things such as this, how can you help me? I'm having a problem with fill in the blank. And they're reaching out to a community of peers from all over. And rather than having one or two people help, there's hundreds of people who can lend a hand. Now that's... And are learning right, from getting that right, answer. Right, right, right. That's exactly right. Now, now there's also 
there's also a challenge in that, right? So how do you sift through all that, and how do you figure, you know, what's the best thing for me? But I think that that I, I think and what's that, good information, what's bad information, right? And and all that exists, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. So we have to be able to sift through and use our, our better judgment. But um, the fact that there's so many more resources available instantly, I think, um, really helps to helps us to um, get closer and closer and closer to where we need to be to create, to have music be much more accessible to more people. Is there anything in the future of Music Ed that you see? It strikes me that you're living in Philadelphia. Now, before I moved to Texas, I was teaching at the City University of New York in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So I had the, and I was on the Music Ed faculty there. So I had the opportunity to see inner city yep. schooling where there is no music. Right. It's actually tragic in New York, yeah. I'll say it right. out loud. But there is a difference between inner city. Is there anything either in technology or something else that's reaching those inner city schools and giving them the same opportunity that the so, verbs are having? So, so let, me, let me add to that, add to, to the city thing, mm. right? From my perspective, it's not just city. It's city and rural. Because yeah, there are uh -huh. plenty of places here in Texas Absolutely. and in other places where um, the tax base is maybe not such that it's supporting music. You know, so, it, so, it's, so it's both ends of the, that spectrum, I think. I'm glad um, you said that. That's, yeah, that's so, you, right. And, and, and I, th I think some of the issues are the same. I think some of the issues are different for obvious reasons, mm. right? Um, the, so, for example, in um, and I have to tell you, <laughs> and this... I should have said this at the outset. I teach at Temple. My husband and I just moved to Louisiana back in May. So right now, I'm living in Louisiana. I'm still still at Temple, full-time for the next four years. Wow. Um, and doing all my work online. I had to give up two bands, but that and I'm very sad about that. But, yeah. you know, you, you move on. So, But the thing about living in Louisiana is, so, so I'm seeing this dichotomy that you would see here in Texas, you would see in New York, um, where you have schools that are very well healed, Right, and music is great, and then you have other schools where not so much, and and you have kids well, it, where we we are. There's it's very rural, and you know you have parents who may not work. Um, how you get your kids even to to rehearsals or things like that, you yeah. know. So so it's those issues. Tech, you asked about the technology piece. Part of the challenge I think that we face is accessibility of technology. Right. Mm -hmm. So unless you have the wherewithal, and when I, when I mean wherewithal, I mean the financial wherewithal. The, the grant writing. Exactly. Exactly. The... Yes. You hit the nail right on the head. So to to bring that to those schools, then it's, it it ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and so, boy, I want to hop on that. The grant writing school skills are are critical. Right. Reaching out to uh, and I just talked. Where did I talk about this? I think I was up in um, when I was up in Chicago. I did a. Uh, I, uh, I, I was mostly working with high school groups, but I also did a uh, professional development day for some folks mm -hmm. in, in Oak Park. And we talked a little bit about this very thing, about find, find what works in your, in your area, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, uh, where you can develop a, a, uh, an outreach, a community outreach, where you're, you know, I hate to use the word advocacy because we overuse advocacy, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's sort of a buzzword and... Which, and you need it. I, I, I don't get me wrong, but it's more than advocacy. It's buy-in. It is. It is commitment. It's commitment from mm, people yeah. outside to 
to what's happening within their community. So, so grant writing, yes, because you want to tap into folks who are, you know, have deep pockets and who believe in what you're doing. But also the neighborhood, right? The neighbors who see what your kids are doing. They believe in the, um, in the musical experience and know what the, the benefits are. It's one of the things we actually talked about upstairs in the last hour before I came down here was um, the long-term benefits of music, which came out of, this is kind of full circle, came out of the House Rights Symposium. And we're finding out, well, this goes back to technology, right? Um, 20 years ago, we could not have imagined what fMRI technology now demonstrates in terms of how the music affects the brain in tangible, demonstrable ways, right? So we've been, we've been talking about this forever, and I do a lot of research in perception cognition. A lot of people, you know, just tons of people in our field who do much more work than I do. But for years, we could only, we could only get to those ideas from observation. Right? So we observe what people do behaviorally, and we make, we, make, we make leaps between what they do and what we think they learned. Right? And, we, and we're, we're right lots of the times, I think. You know? But now, we have additional help. Right? So we have this technology. It's expensive, but I think it's, it'll, get, it'll get better, mm. where we can peer into what's happening in the brain, and we can figure out why behaviorally somebody's doing this and 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 because you know, before that you still had to go through the filter of self yes exa we exactly really getting exactly what was exactly happening. it's exactly right one of the cool things about that is and we see this in the behavior of for example when we're working with um, folks with dementia or folks with parkinson's disease the effects of the long-term effects of music right because what we're, what we're finding out now is that that music affects parts of the brain it, it, it works in, in concert with parts of the brain that do other things in our body. So it works with the parts of the brain that, that, that have to do with physical development. It works with parts of the brain that have to do with reading development, with language development. So music is really all over the brain, physically, right? And, it's, and, and those neurological paths are strong, and they stay there for, our, for the length of our lives. And so going back to... So other, uh, unlike other brain synapses and cells that disappear as we go on. Those, those music connections don't change. Music seems to stay. And, and you know, if, for example, if you, well, you know what? Let, I'll give you an example from when I was a, a doctoral student. And this one, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. <clears throat> I was taking a, a music therapy class with Dr. Jane Stanley, who is just, you know, she's a, another just wonderful, incredible researcher, wonderful teacher, and, and one of my just a, just a great mentor. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I remember being in this class, and one of our jobs was for the class was to go out and spend some time in a nursing home. Not, not doing therapy, because we were not therapists. Right. I mean, heck, I was a music ed major, right? Mm -hmm. But our job was to go out and just be with some folks in a nursing home. Just be. And so I went out to, I, I found a nursing home that actually was in, one of the poorer sections in town. Mm -hmm. And I said who I was, and I said, I'd like to work with a couple of your residents, if that's okay. And I said, here's what I'd like to do. And they said, all right. So I, I, they set me, set me up with two people. One, actually, she was in her 40s, and she had lost both of her legs due to diabetes, and her family couldn't care for her. Mm -hmm. So she was in a nursing home. Um, 
and you know, just completely lucid, and and uh, and we had wonderful conversations. The other one, this this old older woman, she she was in her nineties, just this little African American woman with white, this white white hair. And I remember when I met her the first time. She had these bony little hands, and she said, "She said, come here." And I said, went over, and she grabbed my hand, and she she made me pat her head. She said. Isn't that soft? And I said, yeah, it's very soft. <laughs> and we just talked. I just let her talk. And, and, she, and she asked me about myself. And she was just so with it and wonderful. And she said, she said let's sing. That, was, that came from her. And she says, you know, she's, and, I, and in her southern accent, she says, I just remember all those rhymes and rhythms, those rhymes and rhythms from when I was a little girl. And don't you know, don't you know she started singing things when she, that, that she had to have been singing when she was five and six years old. And here she was. She was in her 90s, you know. So, you know, music, it, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Powerful, yeah. It, it is incredibly powerful. Um, music, and you've probably seen the, the videos uh, that, that kind of awaken folks with dementia, that they, you know, uh, can forget from one moment to the next, but then you play music that's familiar to them, that has meaning for them of some of mm-hmm. some kind, and all of a sudden they they remember the words and the rhythms and the and the pitches and and it's all right there. You know, you play piano. Yes. Do you think right now, if you were to go to the keyboard and play play something that you played when you were about ten, would you be able to do it? Some of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Why? Yeah, they would come back. Why? Because muscle it's it's memory, mu- muscle, yeah, it's yeah. all there. Yeah, it's all there. I mean, I I started out as a piano major before I switched over to saxophone, and um, and I still play keyboard a lot. And every once in a while, I'll pull out something that I played in high school that I haven't played in decades, and it's right there. It is. There. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, music. I mean, I, we all know how magical it is because we do it for a living, but um, it stays there for a long, 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 long time. And getting back to your issue, your question about, about you know, uh, uh, the urban and, and rural and, and all that, one of the things that I think uh, helps the advocacy piece is to, is to teach people about how incredibly powerful it is and how unique it is. You know, what we, what we know about it is that it is, it is a unique, and I'll use Howard Gardner's term, it's unique intelligence. It's a unique type of learning that is similar to lots of other things, but it has its own, um, its own uh, 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 characteristics, right? There's nothing else that does what it does. And so when we're, when we're making that pitch, to, so how can you help our students? How can you make things more accessible to them through grants and that, that translate into instruments and lessons and technology and all those things? Um, they're making an investment in these children's lives forever. And that's, to me, I mean, if that doesn't get them, ain't nothing going to get them. You know, I mean, that's that's incredibly yeah. powerful. Yeah, absolutely, and and a huge responsibility. Right. That's a, right. Uh, uh, talking to Bob Horton, the past president, mm-hmm. this morning, and we were having just that conversation right. of advocating it and always letting people know it's beyond anything that we can even describe. Exactly. It's it's beyond what we even understand right. now right. in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. Thank has been such Jonathan. a great conversation. No, I, I, and it's this been is my a, pleasure. Some of it, the, the, the best things of this is making new friends. So <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really much. appreciate your, your asking. I, and and Absolutely. this is, this is great, great work you guys are doing. I'm so happy that you're taking this on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. All great. right. We'll be on to the next episode. <laughs> 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Texas State Choirs Today. Texas State Choirs Today is a production of the historic Fire Station Studios in the heart of downtown San Marcos. Our producer is Lucas Phillips, our recording engineer is James French, and our technical advisor is Mark Erickson. I'm your host, Jonathan Babcock, and this has been Texas State Choirs Today.